Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything's an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm an editor with Adweek.com. With me as he is each week is Tim Nutt, our creative editor. Tim, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. And we've also got back Lauren Johnson, a senior editor on the Tech Beat and a frequent guest on the podcast. Lauren, uh, and, and you wrote this week's cover story, correct? I did. Awesome. Cannot wait to talk about that. Uh, and also excited to have on Yulia Kim, a designer at Adweek. Yulia, we don't have you on nearly enough, so I'm super excited that you're here. Thanks for having me. And we are going to be talking about HQ, everyone's favorite mobile game addiction of the year. And uh, our cover story on that, what Lauren learned talking to the folks behind it, and of course to Scott the Quiz Daddy. Uh, but first, let's catch up on the news. All right, this is a uh, a topic that we've seen coming up quite a bit. Uh, you know, it's been going on for a few years, but it certainly seems to be picking up steam, which is the idea of these e-commerce brands, companies that that built their bread and butter on uh, you know on digital marketplaces. They're starting to open brick and mortar stores, which of course gets a lot of attention because the brick and mortar retail industry is otherwise collapsing around us, and <laughs> all these major you know golden age chains are going out of business. And at the same time, you've got uh, uh, these companies, uh, most recently Casper and Everlane, opening locations uh, and getting into the the you know, traditional retail business. Uh, you know, we've seen this with a, a few other chains, like Warby Parker, I think maybe most notably, but uh, Zappos, Bonobos, uh, a few different uh, companies that really got their start. Of course, Amazon bought uh, Whole Foods, uh, which you know a lot of people saw as a bit of a, a retail and distribution play. Uh, so this week we had an update on that trend uh, again with uh, Everlane opening their second store in San Francisco and Casper opening their first one in. In New York City. Uh, so mostly I just wanted to talk to the panel about what you guys think of this trend. You know, I will say that I never bought anything from Warby Parker until I was able to physically go into the store uh, and, and pick it out. Lauren, what's been your experience with these kind of digital to retail uh, stores? Have you been to any? I buy my glasses from 
uh, Warby Parker. So I like it a lot, a lot. I think it's an easy thing for me to do. Um, it makes, you know, I can, I can go in and see the frames that I like and then uh, get them shipped to my house instantly. It's pretty seamless, pretty easy. So I like that one a lot. And I think what's different in what a lot of brands are doing with these pop-up stores is that they're, you know, they're smaller. Like you're not going into a Target or a Walmart. And they're also very pretty. Like you look, they look like they could live on Instagram. Like they're very cool. Millennials like them. It has a very like, like cool laid back vibe that I think a lot of people like. Yeah, that, that's a good point. The aesthetics of these places are consistently like ultra modern, very cool. Yulia, I'm assuming that has a lot of appeal for you as someone who revels in great aesthetics. Yes, absolutely. I actually remember uh, passing by an Everlane pop-up in the city and thinking it was so cool because all of these brands I see only online or through my phone, and they've built up such a unique brand that seeing it in real life was so captivating. I was like, oh my God, yes, I'm so ready to experience it in real life. Well, it feels like, and this may be ironic, that they feel a little more curated than a lot of traditional retailers. Like you go into traditional retailers and there's just, there's a bunch of stuff like they're trying to get rid of last season stuff. So they have it all piled over here and they've got the clearance racks and they've got, you know, it's just like, it always feels like they're kind of trying to just get rid of a bunch of inventory and then load in a bunch of inventory. These places always feel very clean and neat and like very minimal, I guess, because the whole business model is like, hey, you're just here to look at this stuff and then buy it online so they don't have to keep massive amounts of inventory sitting around. Yeah, you know, I've always felt like e-commerce brands in general have always had a bit of an inferiority complex, you know, when it comes to brick and mortar stores. Like we all grew up with brick and mortar stores and in some weird way, you know, they're they're kind of a confirmation that you exist, that you have this physical retail presence. And you know, I think a lot of these new sort of uh, new uh, economy brands really never got over that. You know, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that like, for example, Google in so much of its advertising between like 2008 and t- 2015, uh, a lot of their ads were about building physical things. You know, they worked a lot with First Avenue Machine the production company in Brooklyn, those guys were almost like model makers and they built these elaborate physical contraptions. And it was almost like, uh, you know, protesting too much. Like, and there are a lot of examples of this. And even, you know, it, it also just, I think, reinforces the power of physical space, physical things. You look at something like Spotify's out-of-home billboards, you know, a lot of the impulse there, honestly, I think on the part of Spotify is just to exist physically in some form. I think there's like this weird existential urge for virtual brands to have something non-virtual kind of appear in the world. And then, as Julia said, there's this sort of delight factor as well when you when you come upon something that you thought only existed virtually and suddenly has this physical footprint. Well, there, there's also the other trend that we've written about a few times is that a lot of these places are opening magazines, like print magazines, uh, and they're they're beautiful and they're really well crafted. Uh, honestly, because they have the kind of money behind them that we in the magazine industry often don't. And so it's it's been pretty ironic, you know, much like the retail thing that, uh, you know, the magazine industry has really struggled, as has generally the print industry. And yet, meanwhile, these guys are like, we want to put out a magazine. And most, most journalists would be like, you want a what? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, again, like everyone grew up with magazines, right? So it's this it's like the you know creating something that you think is like you know uh, like something that people want or something that makes you legitimate it's kind of funny it's also just more it's more mass market like a lot of these startups are 
well-known within, within like a cult of people in a small niche, but like everything else, like Spotify and all these digital start, what were once digital startups are no longer digital startup, but they have to, um, you know, kind of open up their marketing to a wider group of people and get their names and awareness out there in a bigger way that's not digital. The, you know, the interesting thing, uh, you know, some of you may have listened to this, but Reply All just did a whole episode of their podcast on drop shipping. Did any of you catch that one? No. Mm-hmm. No. It's 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 worth a listen uh, because to me it's just one of they did you know kind of their typical t- deep dive into this internet topic. But what I learned is that you know there's this whole massive industry of people who basically they just take really cheap stuff from AliExpress, the Chinese you know marketplace, mm-hmm. and then they they just build storefronts to sell it for ten times as much or whatever you know, and that's their entire business model is they they literally have no inventory, they literally aren't you know, dealing with any product, they just insert themselves as a middleman, which, you know, is what is what most retailers do on some level. Uh, but, you know, it, it basically, of course, the quality of the products is garbage. The return rates are really high. Uh, you know, there's a ton of issues with this. And it really highlighted to me that to Tim's point about legitimacy and the desire for legitimacy, I wonder if these online retailers are trying to kind of distance themselves from the shadier parts of internet e-commerce and basically being like, no, we're legit. We have stores. <laughs> yeah, make totally makes sense. All right. Well, I'm sure we will have more of these that we cover, but, uh, d- you know, check out our story on, on, uh, on adweek.com about Everlane and Casper's new shops. And we mentioned a bunch of other ones. Uh, and uh, like I said, I'm sure it'll keep coming up. The other news item I wanted to hit up and Lauren can school us on this cause it's, uh, you know, it's a fascinating one, but it's tough to get your head around a little bit. Uh, Procter and Gamble, the massive consumer goods, uh, mega company, they, as as many people in the advertising industry know, they cut quite a bit of their digital ad spending over the past year in 2017. Uh, they really were very critical of kind of the the what what they saw as the shadiness and lack of transparency and lack of standards for viewability and things in the in the ad industry. Uh, so they cut in the in the end. According to Lawrence reporting, they uh, ended up cutting about 200 million dollars in advertising and yet increased their reach by 10%. So let's just kind of stop there for a second, Lauren, and you can explain how the hell does that happen? Like, how do you spend $200 million less and get better reach from your ads? I think that's why this story is doing so well uh, online right now, because it's a very contradictory headline. But it actually makes a lot of sense when you think about it, because yes, like they, they cut out $200 million in kind of those shady ads that includes um, some programmatic, a little bit of YouTube, some Facebook, all those kind of digital platforms, and then reinvested all of that digital spend into TV, audio, and e-commerce. Um, and the the reach comparison is mostly from TV. Um, so you know you cut digital ads that that reach a sliver of consumer versus a TV ad that has a wide reach and you've reached more consumers. Yeah, the, you know, and what's interesting is that normally the trend has certainly been going the other way for years is people saying like, oh, you know, TV's just too expensive and look at all this, you know, discount inventory. It's so affordable online. Uh, and this seems to be kind of a case study that that's not always worth the opportunity cost. Yeah, I agree. And I think um, 
you know, Pritchard, their their CMO, Mark Pritchard, set out this kind of year-long ultimatum in the beginning of 2017 that basically outlined everything he wanted to see done last year. Now he says that's about 90% of the way done. The last 10% basically being Facebook and Google have not gotten up to speed with the type of viewability standards that he would like to see in place. So I think it's I I think part of this honestly is a little bit of a publicity stand a little bit, you know, is Procter and Gamble going to pull more money from Facebook and YouTube? I don't know. Uh, but I think it, it just sends a wider message to the advertising community. Yeah, it's certainly kind of a tacit threat, right? You know, and, and even if it's not meant to be, when Procter & Gamble says, you know, they wouldn't name names of where they pulled their money from in your story, but they said that they cut uh, from several big players. Uh, they cut their spend up to 20 to 50 percent. Uh, on those. And, you know, if you are Facebook, if you're Google, and even if you're Amazon, you know, if you're any of these kind of emerging digital ad platforms, you don't you don't want these kind of stats getting around there that it's to your benefit to spend less money in digital. But on the other hand, you know, the, the positive thing they're trying to accomplish is getting more transparency, getting better numbers, uh, and having a more positive effect, uh, you know, on the industry. And this is something we hear a lot, not to go down the rabbit hole of GDPR, which is its own very complex topic, uh, but that's one where everyone's, you know, bemoaning the fact that in Europe, you're not going to have all this data about web traffic anymore. You're not going to, you know, all these cookies and things people have coasted on. But a lot of people are saying, okay, yeah, you're not going to have these big numbers, but you're going to have much more accurate numbers, and you're going to have much more strategic numbers. So I, I feel like this is part of that same conversation. It's like no one wants to hear $200 million being spent less uh, in these areas. Um, but at the same time, if it makes the industry more effective, maybe that's better. Lauren, how do you think other marketers are going to react? Do you think everyone's going to say, oh, cool, if they're dropping their spin, let's drop ours? Well, um, a few weeks ago, Unilever's CMO, Keith Weed, had a very similar message uh, for the platforms, which is, you know, clean up your act a little bit. Let's get viewability figured out. Uh, actually, Weed, in my opinion, almost seems like the this year's version of uh, Mark Pritchard. It seems like we're going to be hearing a lot from him this year. Um, so I think you're going to see a lot of other brands at least take notice of, you know, when you have Procter & Gamble and Unilever, two of the biggest world's advertisers, there's something to be uh, said when those guys say that digital advertising isn't working for us as well as we would like it to be. I think the other part that needs to be looked at in this, though, and I was talking to someone about this the other day, is that, yes, it's you know these numbers don't look good if you work at Facebook and your client is is PNG or YouTube for that matter but it none of this is actually ever reflected in either of those companies earnings like PNG pulling money from Facebook is not going to make a big dent in Facebook's billions of ad dollars uh, you know same with YouTube and Google like the, none of this has a material effect on these platforms well, you know what they say, 100 million here, 100 million there, and soon you're talking about real money. So uh, we'll, see, we'll see. We'll see what happens in uh, over the course of 2018. But thank you for walking us through that one, Lauren. It's time to move on to my favorite part of the show each week where Tim walks us through the week's ad worth watching. All right, Tim, what have you got for us this week? 
Well, uh, with apologies to uh, some brands like Lacoste and McDonald's and Burger King, all of whom did some notable things this week, um, I think we have to talk about the new Nike commercial. I believe it's called Choose Go, uh, maybe, officially. Uh, But it's an interesting ad. And and David, I know you wrote this up for us, so you've got a lot of info on it. But I'd like to just briefly go over kind of what happens. It's this pretty fun scenario where uh, it's kind of almost like inspired by disaster movies where the Earth has stopped spinning. And uh, it starts out with, um, you know, some sort of doom and gloom uh, news broadcasts. And uh, I'm not sure how the physics of this works, but but uh, everywhere you go, there's like half half sun, half shade. I'm not sure that would happen if the Earth stopped spinning. I'm not sure why twilight would go away. But uh, anyway, uh, so basically it turns out that the Earth has stopped spinning and then everyone on Earth starts running uh, in order to get the, the Earth spinning again. So obviously a loop ludicrous premise uh but 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 done in a really fun kind of lighthearted way uh and it was directed by edgar wright and it's got a slew of celebrities in it too and it's really kind of a a mixed bag of celebs not just athletes uh not just runners but also um a bunch of other celebs kevin hart's in it uh, bill nye is in it there's a few other actors uh along with a bunch of athletes uh odell beckham jr uh simone biles kobe bryant uh, and a handful of other ones too. It's a, it's a, I believe it's a, almost a two minute long uh, commercial. And also notably, it wasn't made by Wyden and Kennedy. It was made by uh, the, the much much smaller Portland, Oregon uh, indie agency called Must Be Something, who I believe are made up of uh, Wyden uh, ex Wyden folks. Uh, David, you may know more about that. But I really enjoyed this ad. It's classic Nike. Um, really, really well done, and just put a smile on my face. Uh, but David, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about uh, about this spot. Well, uh, yeah, this is uh, this one where it's got a great opening, uh, very much in the style of a of a satire of a of a you know, disaster movie trailer. So, uh, although it tells the whole story over the course of the two minutes, but let's listen to the very beginning here. <laughs> Dramatic new developments in the top story of the day. The world has stopped turning on its axis. I repeat, the world has stopped turning. This is a crisis the likes of which planet Earth has never seen. Top scientists are racing to come up with a solution. Let's go! Let's go! So obviously that's the the setup, uh, and you know as Tim mentioned, this is a this is an ad from Must Be Something. It's an agency started by two guys who had been with Wyden for quite a while. They've been doing uh, you know, it's a really interesting agency. They've been doing work with Facebook and and Venmo and Google and obviously Nike. I mean, it's a hell of a roster for a small shop, uh, and it sounds like this this project really ate up a lot of their life. Uh, you, you know, and they they had a lot of fun with it. As as with any Nike thing, you've got a ton of uh, you know all-star appearances in this uh, but I think Edgar Wright was was an inspired pick for this because to, to Tim's point if you're gonna make a movie or, you know if you're gonna make an ad about the world stop spinning it's got to be dumb and it's got to be like gloriously <laughs> dumb <laughs> did, totally. did, uh, did Lauren and uh, Yulia did either of you get to watch it yes I got to see it because I had to make gifts out of it and it was yeah, very you, fun. You, you gift that up. It was awesome. Uh, so so what did you think of the ad, Julia? Oh, I thought it was so much fun. There was so much action and humor, and it was sweet and unifying. Um, it was just a very pleasant thing to watch for two minutes. 
Yeah, and, and and you know, I would say that Nike, when they do these kinds of things, sometimes it can feel a bit unapproachable if you're not into athletics. Or it, it's like the um, Tim. What was the London one called? Nothing beats a Londoner. Uh, right. Yeah. Exactly. Which is. It's a stellar ad. That is an absolutely incredible uh, piece. But if you, you know, it's kind of the whole point. If you don't know anything about London, and more importantly, if you can't understand a lot of the accents <laughs> that are on display in that one. Yeah. They needed subtitles I, for sure. I, yeah, I kind of just watched that one, and I'm always in awe of it because it's a stellar piece of work. That one's from Wyden, London? Wyden, London, yeah, exactly. And, uh, man, it's incredible, but at the same time, I'm, like, watching it from this very outside lens, and I, I catch about a fourth of it. Uh, and with, the, with this one, you know, you can just follow it, even if you know nothing about the athletes. Or, and there's just so many, like, fun cameos. You've got the the girl who played Mad Max on uh, Stranger Things is in there. And just, you know, you kind of want to keep watching it. And I was literally sending Tim screenshots of people being like, who is this? <laughs> you know? It's like, I know this person's important, but but who are they? Uh and, uh, you know, we talked to them about it. I asked them the most important question, uh, which is, you know, obviously we learned from the 1978 film Superman that if you take the world backward, uh, then time goes backward. And so, you know, I asked why Bill Nye did not, uh, you know, school them on that before they had <laughs> – because they – the, like spoiler alert they kind of accidentally make the world go backward a little bit and my favorite part was that he responded well that's a complex question when I, when I talked to the, the creative director from must be something uh, so he was he was a good spirit about it he said we did look back to Superman as we worked through the mechanism of this problem we went he went right to left around the world to turn it backward but he was flying whereas a runner going left to right will send the world backward. <laughs> <laughs> like, I I just like when we can ask really stupid questions and uh, people go along with us on it. So yeah. you know, the so, other thing I like about this ad is also that um, you know Nike's never going to be the kind of advertiser that really kind of addresses the pro- problems in the world. You know, they always look at look at it through the lens of like you should be a runner. You're not running. You know, it's not. They don't take on these b- bigger political things. But like, I think there's a backdrop here of. Um, you know, like the world, something's wrong with the world. Like everyone, I, I think everyone kind of feels that way at the moment. And this is kind of a little bit of a metaphor for that. I think also Nike takes some shots at, with this campaign at, uh, you know, social media and the, the kind of ways that we have become very sedentary and comfortable. Uh, you know, this kind of started about a year ago or more for Nike. I think they did that. Um, it was a campaign called Are We Running? And there were a bunch of TV spots that just had text only. And it was kind of making fun of people who, like, watch a ton of reality television and just kind of get involved in things that are very sort of, like, passive and, 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 and like I said, like, sedentary. And and uh, must be something, in addition to the TV, uh, in, in addition to the commercial, they also rolled out uh, a pretty interesting ad on Twitter that was that just showed the earth and and the uh the text said uh the world is stuck stuck in a feed stuck in a rut stuck in a routine stuck reading this stuck watching that stuck swiping stuck liking stuck sitting and it says don't get stuck choose go and to me like that was you know it's kind of a spin on just do it but but with a focus on on movement uh, you know, and this whole obviously the commercial is about is about you know trying to get moving again, and as a metaphor for for running, and I think the I think the ad and the campaign do kind of push the the Nike Plus and the running system. I thought it was you know I think it is a, a lovely way to do that, and and I do think that like I said I think there is a little bit of critique of of the world in here and and the way we're living life. 
these days. And, and, and choose go is a pretty cool line too. And it's very Nike esque. Uh, and I think, I think must be something did a great job really across the board with this work. You know, I, it's something that resonated with me with this ad and I'm not going to like go down a, the, you know, the, side the tangent of my personal politics but i mean i think like a lot of people i've become more active and more involved in issues lately and in organizations and groups and I, you know what's funny is when you physically start going to things and organizing meetings and going to whether it's a protest or anything what you start to notice very quickly is how many people it's like the issue of when you create an event on facebook and how many people say that they're interested in going <laughs> Versus, you know what I mean? It's like it's like eleven hundred people say they're interested in going, and ninety people are going, and that's <laughs> right. the, and then of those ninety, like five show up, and I'm really starting to feel that personally because you know I'm really excited. Like we've got this 2018 political season firing up, and you've got candidates out there who are like really trying to get who who are trying to build on this momentum and all this excitement and energy. And then, like, everyone on social media is like, yeah, I'll be there, and I'll support you, and I can't wait to be a part of this. And then none of those bastards ever show up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you have to be careful, right? Like, you can't be ridiculing people who use social media because everybody uses social media, right? So you have to kind of be – it's like a a fine line to walk where you say, well, maybe maybe step away from that and try exercising for (laughs) – you know, a little bit. Yeah. Or just, you know, doing anything again to kind of make the world a better place. And and we talked to them about this in the, in the story. You can check out our article about this, but you know, they said that that was their message is this idea that, you know, if you do nothing, nothing happens. And if you do something, especially if you are, you know, joining with other people, then you can change the world. And so that's, that's kind of the cheesy way to step back, but it is a, it is an admirable message. And again, to package all of that, in a just ridiculous <laughs> disaster movie kind of premise. Uh, I hadn't even thought about the lack of Twilight, that it is a clear line. That's a really good point, Tim. But <laughs> Oh, well, now I no longer believe this ad. But, uh, but anyway, well, thank you for highlighting that one. You've got to, though, before we move on, you've got to tell us about the Burger King stuff. That broke pretty late in the week, but it's so fantastic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Burger King has a new print campaign actually out of Germany. Um, I'm sure you guys remember the Burning Stores ads that that, uh, David Miami did. They won a ton of awards last year uh, showing uh, actual Burger King locations on fire. Uh, as a sort of a, a kind of a macabre metaphor for their for their flame grilling, so this seems to it's a different agency. It's Grabar's and partner uh, in Hamburg, but they, they're they're also very very obsessed with fire. These new these new spots. Um, one guy's like throwing a Molotov cocktail at what appears to be a protest, and, and uh, there's three other executions. Are all very very fiery, and uh, it's it's a recruitment campaign. So basically, it says if you love fire. Uh, come work for Burger King, and, and the links go to <laughs> the links go to uh, the German uh, jobs page for Burger King. So, yeah, I mean, very very provocative ads with a sort of a political edge. Um, you know, I, I thought they were pretty pretty interesting. They're worth they're worth uh, seeking out and, and having a look at. All right, well, thank you, Tim, as always, for rounding those up. Be sure to check out the creativity section on Adweek.com, which Tim curates and always is highlighting really fantastic stuff. But it is time to move on to our big discussion of the week. All right, this week we're talking HQ. 
If you haven't played HQ, you've probably at least seen your friends clustering around in a group to play it at certain times. Uh, Yulia, what's the status of our the Adweek collective that plays HQ? Like, how many people? Is it still going on? Is everybody still gathering around? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's absolutely still going on. We actually have a Slack channel called HCrew. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I, I would guess, like, 15 of us probably gather around the art department, actually. Um, and we all cluster, and we pick teams so that when we are down to the last questions, um, someone always picks one of the answers. We have a whole strategy behind it. (laughs) We're really trying to hack the game. But we have not won. Yes, we have not won. (laughs) Yet. Yet. Uh, uh, Tim, have you played at all? Yeah, well, when I was in New York last, uh, Yulia and Anya and the rest of the web folks um, got me into it. And yeah, now I, I play most days. Sometimes it's a little inconvenient. I'm sure we'll get to this, but I feel like it goes on a shade too long, uh, like with the long-winded introductions. And But it's very, very fun. It's obviously a model that people seem to love. So, um, yeah, excited to chat about it. Well, let's so, – so it's on our cover. Uh, Lauren, you wrote the cover story. What, what were you trying to accomplish with this cover story? I mean, obviously, we've been talking about HQ for a bit, but, you know, obviously it had reached a point where it tipped over into being enough of a cultural phenomenon to us to – for us to devote a cover to. So I think um, with this, we were really trying to look at the – I think what's interesting about HQ that a lot of folks haven't covered yet is the idea of how you use this time – and appointment-based apps to differently. Because if you think of all the social platforms, publishers' apps, brands' apps, all of those, um, all, the, all the content is designed for you to open it basically whenever you want and consume as much of it as you want, whenever. Um, whereas the model with HQ is totally different. Like you get a limited amount of content within two windows of time each day, and that's the only time you can get it. And that's really the way that they've built up um, so much hype and attention for it. It's very similar to like a, a TV or a radio trivia show program from decades ago. Um, and then I think that's just why it's just a totally different model that you've seen brands like Nike and Headspace, um, Adidas do these kind of similar, like it's almost like a flash sale in a way. It's like the only time you can get a product is when you open an app at a specific time. So we kind of dug into what does that model mean for brands and marketers. Yeah, you know, we talk about appointment television is a phrase you hear every once in a while because it's kind of one of the last things really saving traditional television. Uh, You know, the Oscars, you want to watch the Oscars in real time. You want to watch major sporting events in real time. So we call those appointments. But this takes it to a whole new level. I mean, where people... Not it's not just the Adweek newsroom that kind of grinds to a halt when, when HQ comes on. Everywhere I go grinds to a halt. Like, I was at a party, and half the room stopped partying. You know, it wasn't like a like you know crazy party or anything, but it was a holiday party, and we're all hanging out, catching up with people we haven't seen, and all of a sudden you look over, and everyone's just got their phones out. They're gathered around a dining room table. <laughs> it's like... It's such a. It's become such a, a a fascinating phenomenon to just watch people. I was listening to a podcast where, in the middle of recording the podcast, they all played HQ and they just kept the entire thing in their podcast. <laughs> um, 
Well, first, I have, a, I have a question that I think a lot of people have asked, and Lauren, maybe you know the answer. How are they making money? They are not making money. They <laughs> are uh, backed by a significant amount of venture capital right now. That's where the prize money actually comes from each day. Uh, in terms of production, and that sort of stuff is pretty light. I mean, they have, I think, you know, 30 to 50 people-ish in um, their office in New York. Scott's one of the hosts. They have a couple other um, rotating casts of, of hosts. But for the most part, I think they keep a lot of the production and the actual costs that go into making the game pretty light. And that's about it for the... But, I mean, surely they have a plan, right? You don't put venture capital money behind something if there's no plan whatsoever to make money. So the plan is to eventually start making money off of what's going to be kind of a type of sponsored advertising, which I would argue there's actually some of this already being done. Like when they ask a question about a brand, every, I, maybe this is just the mindset of where I'm at, but I always wonder if that was an ad. Uh, I, I don't think it is technically right now because they're not making money off of it. Uh, but you could eventually see some of these, some of those questions becoming sponsored, where maybe there's even like a little banner or some kind of logo or some kind of marking on the screen. You could see it like interstitial ads, um, just kind of weaving in branded and product integrations is coming. It's just a kind of a matter of of when that comes. So, so what you're saying, just to clarify, is that when you hear a brand mention on there, you find yourself saying. Yeah, that's probably an ad. <laughs> yes, I do. Just got to drive home that branding. Um, the, the the funny thing is, like, you, you don't exactly have to reinvent anything here. Or it's the quiz show has been monetized in so many ways for so many decades that there's like, like, you know what I mean? It's it's a everything's been proven, and they, I think, they're just kind of like Twitter which was very slow to the monetization table. You know, I feel like these guys are just kind of taking their time. Maybe they just want to get the app working consistently. I and mean, what would you guys say is the reliability at this point? I feel like the biggest complaint I hear is just that it still stalls a lot, lags a lot. How are they doing on that front? I think it's gotten a little bit better. Um, there's still definitely some issues with lags and connection. I mean, usually actually in our little group we usually have one person that plays the music so that we can kind of get around those lag issues so as soon as he says the question we're like ready to go before it, the content even uh huh. loads in the app but even that can be can be kind of buggy so i think there's still definitely some issues to resolve there but it, it has gotten a little bit better um, I've also noticed that they've been clear about whenever they make an update, and Scott says, like, make sure you update your app before you play the game. Um, and I have started doing that, and I think it's improved the quality of the game. The How are they doing on audience size? I remember it felt like it kind of plateaued a bit around the 1 to 1.2 million, but is it still growing? I think over Super Bowl uh, Sunday, there were too many people, 2 million people who tuned in. Wow. Granted, that's a big stage, and they they had some uh, ads that they did not pay for, like Super Bowl commercials that were running to promote the game, which I find it interesting that they didn't pay for that. 
but um, how did that, how did that work out? How do you get? It was some kind of it was some kind of deal with the NBC, I believe. Oh. Hmm. Uh, which I, yeah, I thought that was interesting. They're not doing any kind of they're not doing any paid marketing right now as we speak. Well, so so one other you know thing I've always wondered is how much of this is you know of their success is specific to Scott. Like if Scott the quiz daddy walked away tomorrow, would HQ keep keep going? Just be as good as it is now? I don't know. Yeah. No way. I mean, I mean, he's, he's, the, the, he's the core, I think. He's definitely the core. And we have, I mean, they do have like, actually when he came in to do the, um, we did a photo shoot with him too, which the art and graphics for the story is amazing. We had so much fun with him. We shot a video and like the visual part of this package is something that I think ever, that we should be very proud of. Um, but he was saying that I think he gets like eight days off a month, eight shows off a month. So they do have some folks that fill in for him. But like if you if he was gone for good, I'm not sure I'd want to keep playing. Everybody complains when he's not there, though. I think one time they turned the comments off because they were getting so rude toward the replacement host. <laughs> no, wow. so so it's okay for them to like all the comments to be racist and uh, and Nazi, but like you know if you start making fun of the sub, <laughs> you get pulled. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, um, so let's talk a bit more as you had mentioned, Lauren, about the bigger angle of our story. Uh, was really about how this is a, it's having a bigger effect, but I think it's also fair to say it's part of a trend that we were already seeing, uh, you know, with, with brands and apps, uh, seeing the, the value not only in scarcity, but in limited time. Uh, you have a great quote from Ron Ferris, the, the general manager of Nike's sneakers app, uh, which is one of these like limited distribution things. And he says, urgency is one of the key currencies that we use in these experiences. And I, and I thought that was a really good point. It's just, we live in a world of such convenience that urgency is kind of one of the rarest things. Yeah. I think time is going to be time is going to be a metric that you see more brands try to act on. Uh, Publishers actually do this quite a bit. If you think about like breaking news, push notifications for that sort of thing and stuff. I think you're, I think you're going to see more of that on the brand side too. Yeah. And I think it's kind of baked into the pop-up, uh, culture as well as you know is that part of the appeal it's it's like the diesel store we talked about the diesel store had been there for a month it would have gotten a lot more people through the doors but it wouldn't have been as cool as you know it's only going to be open for a few days uh, there's just you know this the, we live in this time where not only is it valuable to marketers but it's valuable to you as a social you know as someone posting to social media like I did it I made it to this I made it out to this limited time thing there's a there's a you know again to to you know, to the point of Ron Ferris was just making that urgency has this reward where if you can Instagram be like, I got I got to this before any of you, any of you slackers did. <laughs> it, it yields some really good content. So where do you think we're going to see? I mean, is this going to be a fad? Well, I guess let's take a step back. Is HQ going to be a fad or do you see it? Uh, Lauren, Yulia, you guys are really deep in this, although Tim's playing a lot, too. Do you guys see this sticking around or inspiring a better game that comes along? Or will it kind of Pokemon Go and just flare up really big for a bit and then just kind of, even though it still exists, just drop off the cultural radar? I think some people that I talked to for the story compared it kind of similar to Pokemon Go, to kind of what Pokemon Go did to AR, where Pokemon Go these days isn't necessarily 
you know, as buzzy as it was a couple years ago, but it did open up a bigger opportunity around augmented reality. So I think you might see that with HQ too, where, you know, are we going to be playing HQ in a year? I don't know, but maybe you'll be playing more of these like live um, games and see more of these kind of appointment based programs out there. Yeah, totally. I agree with that. Um, I think just anything that creates some kind of schedule for us, especially when it's something related to uh, phones or apps, um, mobile, I think we're kind of craving a certain um, anchor almost to our day. And I think HQ acts in that way. And even with um, mental health apps like Headspace, uh, we had a piece about that. Like it creates some kind of schedule in order to the day that I think we've been lacking because everything is so much more available to us and on our phones and through internet. Um, I think naturally we are just kind of craving and gravitating toward that kind of more stable culture. It's refreshing, honestly. Like when you think about it compared to a Hulu or a Netflix, it's a refreshing model where you don't feel like you have a million choices. You have one choice. Uh, yeah, that's totally true. Nice. I, I like that backlash as well to like the any time is fine kind of model. Like it's nice to, you know, it is fun when you log on, you see there's like a million and a half people like at the same time kind of watching the same thing. And I think there's a huge value in that if they can figure out how to get people to pay for it or, or put ads in there or something. Yeah, the uh, the thing that about Pokemon Go that, you know, we talk about the AR aspects, which is cool. But to me, it was just about it gave you a motivation to explore your neighborhood, to explore your community, uh, to partner up with people. I saw a lot of people when Pokemon Go came out, like coworkers who had never really done much together. Uh, we're suddenly like going out on walks together or going out and exploring, you know, it's like, let's go hit those three pokey stops. And, you know, it actually kind of created some friendships, but more importantly, it just got people out of the damn office and got them, you know, get it, getting some air and getting it and moving around. They were, they were choosing course, go. <laughs> yes. Way to tie it all together. Uh but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I think that Yuli is totally right that uh, that the nice thing about it, even though in a social situation it's a little weird when you take a break from socializing to, like, play this game, in a work situation it's nice because, you know, not not many of us, if any, really smoke anymore. You don't have, like, a lot of good reasons to go just kind of drop off of work for a few minutes and turn your brain off. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's a good reminder that... It's okay to to take a little breather. And to Tim's point, it does feel like it goes on a bit long, but like, uh, you know, it's um, it, it's just long enough that you know, again, it's about smoke break length. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even you if know. you win, right? You, like on a regular work work day, afternoon or evening, I think it's only like you probably get like five or ten bucks, right? But then the yeah. Sunday night game is the Sunday night game is like ten times that. Like yeah, the girl that I um, <clears throat> interviewed for, because I talked to some actual players, uh, and the girl I talked to is 17 years old from Atlanta, and she feels like she hit the jackpot a few weeks ago and she won, but she only won $9.50. <laughs> hey, man, when you're in high school. Uh, that's like that's like an entire shift of working at the yogurt shop when I when I was in high school. So, um, well, thank you so much, Lauren and Yulia, for bringing your HQ expertise. I encourage everybody to check out Lauren's cover story on Adweek.com and, of course, in the print magazine and learn all sorts of that. We have a Q and A with Scott too, right? We do, and a video. 
Nice. So yeah. So uh, check all those out. Uh, big thank you to uh, to Lauren, to Yulia, to Tim for joining me this week. Our theme music is by Home. Uh, this week's episode was produced by Anya Fernando. Please take a moment to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. It means a lot to us and it helps new audiences discover the podcast. We're also on Spotify. So uh, look for us there if you prefer getting your podcasts on Spotify. I'm David Greiner with Adweek and we will be back next week. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.